Hello, and I am back with the second part of my story about World War Two and the stories or the, the truths that I was told after the war as a child. And so I was talking about rations. And now the insert is going to be where the American troops came to the UK. They were very popular because they had fresh and plentiful supplies from the USA. They were not rationed in food, clothing or luxuries. Cinema and radio were the only entertainment, but only 8 out of 10 families had even a radio. Very few had TV sets, which were tiny and black and white, with programmes for just a couple of hours daily. All sports stopped and events cancelled for the war years. Dancing, though, was popular in ballrooms and church halls. Girls had to dance with girls, as most of the men had gone to fight. My Uncle Len was a Spitfire pilot at 19 years old. It was a one-seater warplane. He flew in the Battle of Britain on hundreds of sorties. Missions, they were called. The Germans wanted to destroy the RAF, the Royal Air Force. First, with the Messerschmitt, the fighter aircraft they also shot at people walking down the streets with. The RAF had Spitfires and Lancaster bombers, and in 1940, Germany began mass attacks on our small island. In three months, the RAF lost 792 planes and 500 pilots were killed. Uncle Len flew so many raids he was allowed to go to rest and recuperation in a country mansion where he was photographed with an American film star, Clark Gable. Special songs were written to keep up morale. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep the home fires burning. Another one was the White Cliffs of Dover about that place on our coastline that the Spitfire pilots saw when they returned from the raids if they were lucky to come home. Our other planes, the Hurricanes and Spitfires, were in many dogfights with the Fokker Wolf and the Messerschmitts. The Doodlebugs, the RAF, would intercept over the English Channel by placing their wings under the short wings of the bombs and then flipping them over into the sea. How incredibly brave would they be to do that? The soldiers were billeted in what we called Nissan huts. You know them as Qantas. After the war, they were used as housing because so many homes were bombed out. I had an uncle who lived in one. They were nice for shelter and we had huge estates of them.
VE. Victory in Europe was May the 8th, 1945. England celebrates with street parties. Japan did not surrender until September 1945. And as a kid, I had friends whose dads, years after the war, suffered from the effects of being Japanese prisoners of war because of how they were treated or mistreated is probably the correct term. The funny thing is, the majority of German prisoners we had in the UK didn't want to escape and they stayed in England and married and had children, staying and not returning to the homeland. Again, as a kid, some of my friends' fathers were Germans who settled in our village. And funnily enough, one of the most incredible Christmas light displays that I have ever seen that got better year after year after year was a friend of mine. Her father was a German prisoner of war that decided to settle in the UK. And he did this magnificent Christmas light show, I suppose you would call it, every year, which we really looked forward to going and passing their house and seeing it. D-Day was the Battle of Normandy. Thousands, over 4,000 ordinary people in all shapes and sizes of boats left England. They crossed the sea to rescue our boys, as they were called from the Normandy beaches where they had been forced with no escape. That is, until that flotilla arrived in force to bring them home. Brits also had to dig for victory. Every piece of spare land was used to grow produce. Parks, tennis courts, golf courses, even the moat around the Tower of London became allotments, small areas where we could each grow things for our families. Allotments still exist in England today. And there were characters like Potato Pete and Dr Carrot who encouraged people to get healthy. These two were always easy to grow and harvest. And as young kids, me and my brother were taken to the potato fields. He was too young, but I had to follow the tractor that was ploughing and dropping the spuds. They were ready for me to pick up and put in sacks. This was my summer holidays from school. A quick picnic lunch and back to the field, cold and dirty, from early morning to the evening, loaded onto lorries, to transport us to the fields and back home again in the evening. My father, Gordon Ainsworth Hall, fought in the trenches in the Warwickshire Regiment Infantry. He says, so the story goes, that he was bitten by a snake, a cobra, he said, in El Alamein. Two battles there were in 1942 in North Africa and Egypt. I have two of his medals here.
My uncle, who I mentioned previously, his name was Len Adkins, was one of the youngest Spitfire pilots and he was friends with many pilots who were burnt and disfigured, being shot down. There was a man called Sir Archibald Mackindo, who called them his guinea pigs because he invented and practised on rebuilding their new faces that he built after they were burned beyond recognition. Without those brave men, we would actually have no plastic surgery now. So just think of all the people that go to have their noses fixed and their boobs done and their faces changed for purely fashion or to feel better about their appearance came from this incredible man and those very, very, very brave men that were melted, their skin melted away beyond recognition and they were operated on and practised and their new faces, even then when they were rebuilt, were incredibly, incredibly disfigured. But now we, well not me, I wouldn't do it, many of us now reap the benefits of that. In actual fact, I have read a couple of books since I wrote these these tales that there is especially one village in the UK that was very near to Sir Archibald Mackindo's I suppose it was called a hospital and I can't really remember and they were the pub in the village was the only place where these men while they were convalescing and and getting better from their injuries and their disfigurements that were being tried the burns to be healed were able to go into this one particular pub because everybody in the village knew what was going on and when they came into the pub just to socialize or have a beer nobody remarked on their faces or their hands or their arms or whatever was going on with their surgeries. So that was really, really nice for them to be able to do that. My grandmother lived on the outskirts of London in Seven Kings, Ilford, Essex. My Nan's Road, I think I also mentioned this in the other part, was St Albans Road. It was at least five or six blocks long. A very long walk. On each corner was a shop where rations were given. There was an Anderson shelter in the garden. And I was told some nights when they came up from the shelter, houses in the roads were demolished in the bombings overnight. The Anderson shelters were half buried and topped with earth some families slept in them every night. Each time the air raid sirens went off, they ran for cover. Others sometimes in caves, under bridges, or in the underground train stations. The garden shelters, though, were six corrugated iron sheets, bolted together with steel plates, 
on each end. Six foot six inches long and four foot six inches wide and barely high enough to stand. Damp, dark and bare. People who didn't have a garden had what they called Morrison shelters. These could be used as a table. Six foot long, but just two foot six inches high and four feet wide. People squashed in and under these tables until the raids were over. I heard all these war tales, how when the doodlebugs whizzed over your head, you were happy to hear them. Because when the noise stopped, you were where it dropped. The enemy planes flew so low, the signs of the Japanese and German marks on the plane were visible just above. When I went to see my relatives on the steam trains, much of the journey was through bombed out, demolished neighbourhoods. Just bricks and rubble. Soldiers came home with shell shock, now called PTSD. I remember one man who shook so violently every few minutes even when he was riding his bike. Just incredibly uncomfortable for him and uncomfortable for people who had to see what he was going through. He would just shake. Their bodies shook from being injured or being so near explosions. Many thousands of Jews also were in concentration camps. All wicked, wicked places. Out of the camps they took years to get back to health. Many witnessed their families gassed and tortured. Many Jews came to live and be successful business people in England. And they are some of the bravest people that ever existed. The stories I heard were always about how happy the times were. Nothing was taken for granted. Because each moment could be your last. Sickness and childhood diseases like polio, whooping cough. Measles and mumps killed children. As hospitals were destroyed and nurses and doctors lost in the war, everyone had to start life anew if they were one of the lucky to still be alive and a little healthy. Polio was from bad water and sanitisation was prolific. Once you got it, polio that is, because nothing was clean. There's bad water and even, even rivers and ponds and lakes. I remember as a child being told 
never to go and swim because you may get polio. And once you got polio, you were crippled or had to live inside an iron lung. TB was killing millions, that's tuberculosis. My grandfather was one of them who died young, 44 years old from TB. Uncle Len and those pilots smoked so many cigarettes, called senior service they were. They had no tips on them. And I remember when the men were smoking them, they used to always be putting out their tongues and pulling off a piece of tobacco because no filter tip and nothing to stop the tobacco going in their mouth. But these strong, strong senior service cigarettes, they smoked one after the other. So much so that he died very young, not from the war, but lung cancer. Another uncle who died young was in the Royal Navy, a sailor. My father's mother lived in a house that had a rail line, a railway line, sorry, go along the bottom of her garden. The railways were constantly bombed and she gave me cherries that grew from a tree that survived the blitz. The air raid sirens still went off in peacetime. I can remember the awful noise early in the mornings waking us all up. For many, many years we grew up fearing another world war. And to this day there are still unexploded bombs. Shelters are still in some places. Still around as a reminder of that awful time. Survivors of the Belsen and Auschwitz camps still able to retell their stories. If we didn't eat or lost weight, people said, you look like you live in Belsen. Because those people were starved, living skeletons. So we were never allowed to waste anything. I hope I have covered a lot of the memories and I am so proud to come from a generation who suffered so much for so long. Unfortunately, most things were destroyed in the war. But I do have a few photos of relatives and the photo of my Uncle Lem with that American film star, Clark Gable. I remember the fathers of my friends that died so young from being those prisoners of war. And right now, with, and I've said it a couple of times or too many times, with the COVID-19, that this is so, it's awful. People are dying and people are suffering. But we have the science. We're coping with it in peacetime. So that means we can all be careful, stay at home, protect our families, go shopping carefully and wear a mask. A mask that is just a 
piece of material or something like that. Not a heavy, heavy, great lump of black rubber that has a huge, great spout on it. We just have to unclip the elastic from behind our ears and let it drop to one side or take it off completely. So easy, but so many complaining because the majority of people don't remember or haven't heard the stories. I have even heard in the last couple of days that there are people that, although they say they don't believe that COVID is what is as dangerous as it is, that there was no concentration camps. Absolutely absurd. The wall, there are still, still in the United Kingdom places that have not completely recovered from those war years. And with everybody, I'm, my uncles died young. Not because of the war, they lived through the war. My father lived through the war. But in those war years, the stress and the smoking and things that they had to do to just struggle on caused so much suffering for the rest of their lives. And that generation is just disappearing now. In fact, not two days ago, that Spitfire pilot's wife who's lived all this time without her husband and raised her two children. My grandmother, who was widowed, as I said, her husband was 44 when he died of tuberculosis. These women worked so, so hard and managed to cook with just those few rations Nothing was wasted and they were happy. My aunt that just passed away was one of the happiest people that I know. Always dancing. She Every time we visited, she would make us a cup of tea. And then as we drank the tea, because there were no tea bags, tea leaves were left around the bottom of the cup. And I remember her saying, come on, come on. Tip the drops of tea out and swirl the cup and I'll read the tea leaves for you. Just made every trip when I went to see her. Probably was a load of old coswallop, but she never gave us bad news. It was always, oh, you're going to grow to be successful and all that. Just wonderful, simple things. And it's so sad that she has gone to, funnily enough, lived until I believe about nine, she was 97, lived on her own. But guess what got her in the end? Yep, the COVID-19. Incredibly sad. So with my recollections of all those stories from the war, all the people that told those stories, yes, 
they gave the sad tales and the awful things that happened and the fear that they had. But they also had a sense of positivity and wanting to be around when the end of the World War came. And so we should have that positivity because there will be an end to COVID. There will be, there always is an end to anything, even the depression. Sometimes it doesn't, it seems unending. Anxiety and depression is something that we can learn to handle and live with. So as I sign off tonight, I hope my little story has given you some hope that this is a livable thing that we have to go through. And I will be back with some more tales. I have found one that is a remembrances of a very, very old, the English traditions of Christmas. So I think I will record that for posterity. So good night. Sleep tight, rest well, and just remember that this too shall pass and it is far more preferable than the things that I have been reminiscing about. So, good night.